Yes, and good morning. Thank you so much for coming to Dorisville this morning, sharing Father's Day with us and enjoying Brother Jim's testimony. Didn't he do a great job? Yeah. There there are two things. Um, I knew I'd heard the story already about Jim being being a tough guy. And I, I was sitting down from my angle right there, and when he turned his head a certain way, I could see the tough guy had a tear coming down his face. And I think it's cool. He went through all these so difficult stories of his life, but it came down to a professional uh, predicament that God really said, hey, you're my child. It's not about you. It's about me, and I can handle it, and I can handle it. I love that. I just love that. Well, listen, today we start a new series um, that's going to run the entire summer, uh, starts today, and it ends up, I think, the last Sunday in August, and I'll tell you how it came about, and I'm excited about because I think it's so, so um, important. Um, it started like this. This has been a significant year for me. It's kind of like Jim, you know, I've got a little story today also, um, but I started with, with the fact that I started this year, and 72 was a big year for me, and the reason 1972 was such a big year well, it's the year I graduated from high school, and then I joined the Air Force. So I graduated, I think, on a Thursday night, and then went in the Air Force on Monday or Tuesday the following day. Florida boy, um, <laughs> unlike Jim, I was not a tough guy uh, at all. And, you know, leaving mom and dad behind, that was a very, very big um, decision um, for me. And so I joined the Air Force, and the reason why this all ties in, not just that it was 50 years ago um, in my life, but, but when I enlisted, um, they gave a test to you, an aptitude test. And I would have thought, you know, my dad made his living working on jet engines, okay? And then my brothers were all, well, at least two of them, two, three of the five were um, real, just real mechanically minded. And I thought I was too. And so you can imagine the surprise then when they said, we're going to put you in administration. They're, they're make a clerk out of me, Okay. And, and that was not what I was expecting, and I was really offended by it, but I didn't have any options. It wasn't like they said, choose, choose one of the three. Um, that was the option I had. And, and so I went into the Air Force, and they trained me to be a clerk. Now, I really didn't understand this, okay, until 12 years passed. 12 years. 12 years later, um, in 1982, um, God called me to be a pastor. And in 1984, he confirmed the fact that he wanted me to get out of the Air Force after 12 years and go into the pastorate full time. Now, I've, I've written this several times in Grits, uh, the blog I do. Um, but you can imagine if I spent those 12 years as a jet engine mechanic and I walked into a pastor's office, I'd have been totally lost. Totally lost. As it was, it like I left one office and simply moved into another office. The Air Force had taught me to write. They had taught me to research. They had taught me to build stories. Um, they had taught me to run an office. They taught me to supervise people. All of that because 12 years earlier, God knew um, what I was going to be doing, and he's going to call me into the pastorate. So God is a good God. God's a gracious, wonderful God. And he's got a plan that he's working out, and all we have to do is trust the plan um, that he is working through in our lives. So I just, I was thinking about that and thinking about 50 years, I cannot believe that. 50 years I graduated from high school. 50 years I joined the Air Force. How crazy is that? And then I, I thought about basic training. Now, basic training for the Air Force was not hard, okay? 
um, not like the Marines and not like the Army and perhaps even the Navy, um, but, but, it, but it was still challenging. It was. And, and so I thought, wow, and they call it basic military training, BMT. And I said, well, you know, I, we don't talk about that. And I said, no, we don't want to talk about BMT. We don't talk about BMT. And, and this is what came into my mind. Biblical mindset training. Biblical mindset training, BMT. And I realized, and I really believe this is like a God moment, um, that, that God would said, what a great way to spend the summer, Dwayne, at Dorisville is by teaching your people, God's people, how to have this biblical mindset. Because we live in such a challenging day, um, it's really easy to get shifted off course and have a mindset of the world. What the world thinks and not what God thinks. I know it's so prevalent in our society today. So for the next, for these next couple of months, uh, in a week or two in August, we're going to look at biblical mindset training. We're going to see what God says about how we are to view the world through his lens. How do we do that, and how does that practically play, play out in our lives? Now, now our, our key verse is going to be 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, and Romans chapter 6, and verse number 8. We'll get into that one next week. Um, but it's, a, it's an idea, a thought, that if we can prepare ourselves... Um, for this culture that we can win the war that we're in. Through God's grace and by his strength, we can do that. But we've got to know why we are doing what we are doing. We can't simply pretend like we don't, don't know. We, got, we can't go through it with no idea. Now, what, what the Air Force does is, on June the 12th, 1972, I raised my right hand and I swore an allegiance um, an oath, if you will, no, it was an oath, to, to the United States of America. And, and I said in that oath, I'm going to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Okay? That's a commitment to the gospel. That is a commitment to the gospel. When we sign up to walk with Jesus, we are challenged, commanded to move forward and to protect, defend, to promote, to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then, that oath goes on and says, and to obey the orders of those appointed over me. The President of the United States, Commander-in-Chief, and the officers appointed over me. That's a part where I'm not sure we grasp as believers. But it's a key part of following Jesus Christ is that we are to obey him. We are to obey him in our walk and in our life. So when I raised my hand, I took the oath. Okay, that took about a minute, all right? Then the Air Force spent the next uh, six weeks, all right, helping me to develop a mindset that matched that oath. They, they spent the next six weeks in training and all the things that we did to develop. Because, see, I was a civilian... And I became an airman, a member of the armed forces. So they spent all this time teaching me and helping me understand what it meant to have that kind of mindset. Now, now that's exactly what Paul does in 2 Timothy 2.4. Um, here's what he says. Go ahead, Eli, throw that sucker up there. There we go. Uh, you know, soldiers... First, let me do this way. I, I, this, this came to me on the front row. So, so I'm sitting there. I'm going, so what if I was sitting down with Paul? And Paul had already made a commitment to Christ, and I was considering a commitment to Christ. And I'd say, well, Paul, 
is, you know, tell me about this commitment that you're going to make. And I can just imagine Paul saying, well, well, Dwayne, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of, of civilian life. He, Paul would say, if you're going to enlist and follow Jesus, you need to understand something. You just can't be involved with the affairs of this world. It won't work. In fact, then you go on and say, Paul would say, you know, for, for they cannot please the officer who enlists them. So, Dwayne, you can't, keep, you, can't keep, you can't keep your present mindset of a civilian in this world, a, a lost person in this world. You have got to change and, and grasp a new mindset, all right? Because if you don't, listen carefully, if you don't, you can't please the officer who enlisted you. So believers in Jesus Christ, the issue you may be having in your journey because you've struggled and you struggled, you, you got up and you failed, you got up and you failed, and you get so frustrated with yourself, perhaps you need to reevaluate your mindset, understand you can't have the mindset you had before. You can't have the mindset of civilian life. You've got to please the officer, officer who enlists you. Does that make sense? It really does. It's huge. It's huge. Now, there's a book written in 2014. A lot of you wrote it. I'm sorry, you wrote it. A lot of y'all read it. Okay? And it was, and it was um, entitled, what was it? Oh, by the way, I'm just about half sick, so please be kind to me. Okay? But, but um, Carl Eidemann wrote this book, Not a Fan. And it really rocked the Christian world in, in a lot of circles because it was, it was bold in your face about this mindset thing, about, about, you know, you can't be involved in the affairs of civilian life. You just, he's saying, you just can't be a fan of Jesus was the big push of that, you know, because if you do, you can't please the officer who enlisted you. Now, listen to what Kyle Ottoman said, okay? The biggest threat, the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call now? This is so contradictory. Okay, all right. Who call themselves Christians, but aren't actually interested in following Christ? There's a epidemic, a pandemic. Okay, in the world, Western culture particularly, where people tag the name Christian on them. Okay, but the furthest thing from their mind is actually following Christ. Oh, they want to go to heaven. They want to make sure that when they breathe their last, they go to heaven. They want that. But really, either because they weren't taught or because we don't understand the challenge, okay, that we don't, we're not too interested in following Jesus. You know, a lot of guys raised their hand and took the oath, and they said, you know, I like the uniform. I mean, the Marines have got the coolest uniform in the whole world. Though they saw that uniform and said, I want to wear the uniform. Okay, um, I, I want to be that, you know, Jim would make a great Marine. I want to be that tough guy. Okay, I, I want the toughness. All right, here's the deal. We need to understand that that following Jesus is more than just heaven thrown in. Following Jesus is following Jesus. That's exactly what it means. He goes on and says they want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. We want, we want a salvation. Well, here's the list I made. We want an easy salvation followed with cheap crosses, a long life, and die easy. That's what we want. 
We want to go, you know, okay, not, not too much of a cost. Well, we want easy salvation. We want, you know, we all have a cross to bear. But Lord, please make sure mine are easy crosses. And God, by the way, I'd like to live a good, long, healthy life. And by the way, God, when it comes time, I want to die easy. That's Christianity in Western culture. It's consumer Christianity. It's what I can get, not what I can give. And that's what Eidelman is saying in this. So I, I got this idea. I said, so, you know, I remember a little bit, not much, about, you know, recruiters are famous for lying to you. You know, y'all, we've all heard, you know, if you don't know anything about the military, when I said that, people laugh. Because they'll promise you the world. They'll promise you, hey, just sign here on the dotted line and, and you'll never work on Sundays, you'll never get shot at, and everything's going to be grand. Well, I found out preachers do the same thing. In fact, we're not careful. People who lead people to Jesus do the same thing. Oh, listen. Oh, listen. It's kind of like the nominating committee. I've heard some nominating committee sometimes. We have a great nominating committee. But, you know, I, I've done it myself. Hey, you want to serve on this committee? And what do I have to do? Oh, just attend a meeting every once in a while. And they come back to me later on and said, you didn't tell me the truth. Well, how many guys that went back to see the recruiter saying, you didn't tell me the truth? Okay? Well, Jesus would have been a great recruiter because Jesus would tell the truth. So I can just imagine we're going to sit down across the desk from Jesus just for a few minutes. We're in a recruiter's office, and you're saying, Hey, Jesus, I'm interested in becoming a follower of yours. What do you want to tell me? Okay, here's what, here's what he would say. In Luke chapter 14, verse 25 and 26, Now, this is one of those verses that some of you may go, I never read that one before. Okay? All right? But in Luke 14, 25, imagine now, here's the desk. Okay? Can you imagine yourself? You're sitting there, and here is Jesus. Okay? Jesus, what's the Air Force going to be like? What's what's following you going to be like? He goes, well, he introduced sentence. Now, great crowds were traveling with him, and and that was true. I mean, you know, when you follow Jesus, you got to see miracles. Someone might be dead and come back to life. Someone might be blind and then they get to see. They were deaf and they couldn't hear. You know, you don't tell them what would happen with Jesus around. Okay? And, and they probably loved the fact that Jesus really liked the bump heads with the Pharisees. Constantly battling them. And the Pharisees were these professional religious people who told you how bad you are. So, so the people liked Jesus because he bumped heads with them. He didn't tell them how bad they were. He told them how much he loved. And then you might get free lunch. Remember the loaves and fishes? In fact, Jesus said one time, after he did the little miracle of feeding the 10,000 people, okay, he said, he said to them, you're only following me for the bread. I mean, you know, Jesus did tell the truth. So there were these people following him, a great number of them. He turned around, and here's what Jesus would say. If you asked him, what does it mean to follow you? He would say to you, he would look you in the eye, and say this. Well, listen. If anyone, if, if you, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, in fact, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. See, Jesus was more interested in speaking truth than he was getting someone to say a prayer. See? You know, we pastors, we pastors are, are guilty 
You know, we know there's two ways to make, make sure you keep your job. Seats in the seats and bucks in the plate. You get the budget going well and you get a good crowd here on Sunday morning and things are going to go well unless you mess up stupidly. Okay? Jesus just wasn't like that. And Jesus would have told you the day you trusted him, he said, look, the truth is, if you come to me and you're not willing to hate your mother and your father and wife and children, brothers and sisters, even your own life, you just can't follow me. Anybody heard that before? Not very much, do we? Not to soft-sell it, but to explain it. We know, with almost absolute certainty, what Jesus did not say was we actually had to hate our fathers and mothers, or for that matter, our wife or children, even our own body, our own life. The reason we know that is, is because we, if we hated our father and mother, we would be violating the command, and Jesus would never command that. Okay, here's what he's saying. Every other love in your life, whether it be for your mom or dad or wife or children, brothers, sisters, or even your own life. Every other love in your life must seem like hate compared to your love for me. Do I need to say that again? Every other love in your life, for your moms or dads or children or your wife or your brothers or your sisters or your career or your wealth or your titles or your cars or your address, all of that, the love that you have for that stuff has to look like hate compared to your love for me. Wow, have you heard that before? Did your recruiter tell you that? Probably not. Jesus would. (laughs) Jesus did. Jesus did. He says, you've got to be all in with your heart to follow me. Well, he goes on. And he says later, okay, he says in verse four, verse 28 of Luke 14, he said, now, there's something else you ought to know. <laughs> if, if you're still sitting at the desk, <laughs> he would say, now, wait, wait, there's, there's something else. He said, you really need to count the cost. Most recruiters don't have you count the cost. They want to sell the idea of you raising your hand and taking the oath, they won't speak the cost. Well, Jesus said, he would tell you, if you're sitting down at his desk and he was your recruiter, he'd say, now listen, you need to know this too. Which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Jesus would look you in the eye before he was trying to get seats in the seats and bucks in the plate. He would tell you, you need to understand something. There's a cost to follow me. There's a cost to follow me. And may I be honest with you? It's more than coming to church on Sunday. It's more than a dollar in the plate every once in a while. It's more being, it's not about being a consumer of faith, but a giver of faith. It's more than being served, it's serving others. And Jesus would say to you, you need to count that cost. I mean, if you want to follow me, if, if, you want to, if you want to enlist, you just need to know something. There's a cost involved. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then, in Luke 9, 57, if you're, if you're, still, if you're still sitting at sea, see, we don't say this because no one will buy it. 
Dwayne, this is a, what you're saying today, what Jesus is saying today is a sure way not to get anybody to convert. No, you're wrong. Because people are wanting something to live for and people are wanting to die for and they don't want to live or die for something that cheap. In Luke 9, 57, they were walking along again and, and someone said to Jesus, walked into the recruiter's office, sat down at the desk, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, that's great, boy. You know, the recruiter would be saying, easy mark. Easy mark, just sign right here, raise your hand, and off you go to basic training. Jesus didn't do that again. I will follow you wherever you go. Well, he goes, well, here's what you need to know. You need to know it's just not exactly like that. He says, listen, before you say you want to follow me, foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, if that was true for me, it might well be true for you. He's shooting a large hole through the prosperity gospel. God says, listen, there is no promise for your perfect health. There is no promise for your prosperity. There is no promise for your Cadillacs. There is no promise for your success. The real prosperity gospel says it's coming later. There is a prosperity in gospel, okay? But it's not here. It's, it's rather in a place called heaven. We need to understand that. Because someone sold you a bill of goods. Some recruiter lied to you. And you said, you just trust Jesus and your marriage will be great. Your kids will have straight teeth. You'll always have a job. Always this and always that. And you know what you'll always have? The love of Jesus. You know what you'll always have? A peace that passes all understanding. You know what you will have? Is a reason to get up out of bed in the morning. A purpose in your life like you only dreamed about. Because it's so unimaginable. That's what you that's what you will have. Well, in Luke 9 59, another person walks into the recruitment office and sits down at the desk. He says to another person, I'm sorry, Jesus says to this person, Well, what, what can I do for you? Hey, I'd, I'd like for you to, to, to come follow me. Okay? And the man agreed. Okay? You know, Jesus invites him, Hey, come follow me. But the man said, Lord, first let me return home. And bury my father. Now again, that seems like a reasonable request. And people that are a lot smarter than me, uh, theologians, have have determined, and in that, I think they're right. Because you know, well, you know, go go do the funeral. You know, yeah, it's a way you should show love to your family. Go do the funeral. It's got to be more than that. That's what they determined. Now, what Jesus was saying was. Or what the man was saying was, I want to bury my father, but he's not dead. I mean, we all know people who are one foot in the grave. You say goodbye to them this week and you say, I wonder if they'll be around next week. Not the case, probably. This dude's daddy wasn't even sick. The man was saying, it's not a convenient time. I want to follow you, but it's not convenient time. There's an old, old hymn called Almost Persuaded. You remember that? 
and said, some more convenient time, I'll come. And a lot of people walk out of the recruitment office for this reason. The cost is too great right now. I might consider it later, but not right now. Not right now. Um, Another guy said this in verse 61 and 62, Luke chapter 9. He said, look, another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. Well, that seems like a reasonable request. But it wasn't. Because what the guy is saying, I still have, mm, I still have ties to the past that I'm not ready to let go of. You remember the children of Israel when they were leaving Egypt. Can you imagine, you know, the children of Israel going, I don't want to go. In fact, they did later on out in the wilderness, but I don't want to go. Imagine, guys, I know it's Father's Day, and I hate to pick on you, but it's just easy to pick on men because I'm one. But imagine if you were having an affair, and your wife caught you in the act. So you walk up to the table where they're having dinner together, and your wife says, okay, Joe, this is it. Me or her, you choose. And Joe looks at the wife, Joe looks at the sweetie, and looks at the sweetie and says, I, I just hate to leave you. I just love you so much. But she won't let me stay married if I don't tell you goodbye. I just... Is there something wrong with that? Yeah, the husband's saying, oh, I, I don't really want to leave, but I will. This is it. This is it. This is what the guy is saying. He's saying, I really don't want to leave, but I will. That is the wrong mindset to follow Jesus. Jesus is not number six in the show of town. There's shows in town. Jesus is number one. He is the number one show in town. You know, I, I, I will follow you, but let me tell my family goodbye. No, no, no. Jesus said in verse 62, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. You're not ready for the kingdom of God. When you're trying to decide, which, which do I want? The world or Jesus? The world or Jesus? The world or Jesus? You're not ready. Holy Spirit, I broke your heart enough. We, we need to come to a point when we're totally sold out and committed. So what's our teaching point? Our teaching point is this. Following Jesus is not just a prayer. Following Jesus is not just a prayer. Nothing wrong with a prayer. I prayed one, I'll share with you in a blog. Um, I prayed a prayer yesterday that God answered in a pretty dramatic way. And, and Jesus' prayer too. Um, so I'm, I'm all for prayer. But you've got to understand following Jesus is not just a prayer. It's a commitment. It's a devotion. It's an act of faith. It's believing. It's believing. It's not, hey, Jesus, sorry for my sin. Um, Won't you be my Savior? Want to go to heaven? Bye. And then nothing changes. If you prayed a prayer and there's been absolutely no change in your life, uh, you may have got religion, but you didn't get Jesus. You just didn't get Jesus. A.W. Tozer, I've quoted this guy a lot. I mean, he was just a great Bible teacher. And um, he wrote this. Well, I'll tell you what he wrote in just a minute. Christianity is decaying. Does that sound familiar? Can I have an amen? I'm talking about culture right now. Christianity is decaying. Yes. 
It's going down to the gutter. Is it? Honestly, yes, it is. Come on, let's just be honest. Okay? Because the God of modern Christianity is not the God of the Bible. That's it. That's it. We have, we have created and developed this God that we want, and it's not the God of the Bible. Now, here's the scary part. A.W. Tozer wrote that in the 1950s. 1950s was the years, the decade of the biggest baptisms in America. That's when he wrote that. That's when he wrote that. If that is true, and it is, and if it was true in the 50s, I'm telling you, God is shouting to his church from heaven, get serious with me. Get serious with me. I'm not the God of, God of the modern society. I am Jehovah God. I do not change. I can't change. And I will not change. Either you change because God's not going to change. Patrick Morley wrote a book entitled Walking with Christ in the Details of Life. It's out of print. You can find it. Here's what he said. There is a God we want, and there's a God who is, and they are not the same. There's a God we want, and a God that is, and they are not the same. I just looked at the clock. (laughs) Not too long, brother. It's Father's Day. So how do we... So, so you sat at the desk with Jesus. He's explained to you very honestly. He shared his heart with you. Okay. What do you do with that? Well, Paul does a great job in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. And let me just share this uh, briefly and quickly with you. Now, these are verses that I've used personally for years, for decades, uh, part of the Romans road. Paul said in Romans 10, 9, um, he said, if you confess, that means to, it means... It's when the mouth agrees with the heart. It's when the mouth agrees with the heart. Okay? So if you confess, if you affirm, okay, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, it would be so easy for me, and boy, would it preach good, that you've got to be willing to make a commitment to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. And that is true. It's just not what Paul is saying. What he's saying is, the word Lord there is the Greek word, the Greek translation of the Hebrew word, Yahweh. So what Paul is saying, that you've got to be willing to to confess that Jesus is God. That's important. Because I'm telling you, in the culture we live in, it's more and more considered bigotry. Um, it, it is you know, being biased. It's being narrow-minded to even say that Jesus is God, much less he's the only way to God. But Paul says you've got to do it. Speaking to the Roman church, which has been a culture a lot like ours. Jesus is Lord. And the faith part, you've got to believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And you're going to be saved. You're going to be saved. You've got to confess your mouth, I believe that Jesus is God, and I believe that God raised him from the dead. And then he goes on, verse 10, and just simply says, he says, you know, one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, 
is only salvation. When you confess that Jesus is God, okay, and you believe in your heart, you know, that God raised from the dead, believe unto righteousness, you will be saved. And I love this. No matter, no matter who would walk up, Dave, no matter who walked up to the desk, if a rich guy walked up to the desk, if a poor guy, if a white guy, a black guy, a Hispanic guy, whoever walked up to the desk with Jesus and said, I want to know about following you. And then Jesus would say this. He said, so, you want to make that commitment? Because Paul says in 10.13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that means no matter who you are and what you are in this room, no matter how big your sin list is, do you understand that? There is no sin. Somebody say no sin. Mm-hmm. There is no sin beyond the scope of God's grace. I don't care. And we could think of some bad stuff. I think about that 16-year-old kid who stabs this lady 11 times and throws her body. A trusted friend, apparently. Who, who knows why he did that? Who knows why the guy shoots 20, you know, 20, 19 children and three adults, whatever it was, in Texas? It's a twisted, wicked world. But God's grace is sufficient. There's no sin beyond the reach of God's grace. And that means you sit here today, and one of two things is true. Either you've trusted Jesus... And you've already experienced that. Or today's the day you can. Today's the day you can. God is, God's word said, if you will call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And that's the invitation today. That's the invitation today. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And you've heard very clear in, those, in those, just those verses. Are you willing today, are you willing today to commit? And may I throw in there, are you willing today to repent or turn? Because, again, the day I raised my hand, I turned from my civilian life to my Air Force life. So if you're willing today to confess and, and repent of that former lifestyle and believe that Jesus died and God resurrected him and believe that he is God, if you're willing to ask that sincerity, God will forgive your sins and save your life today. Now, you might be saying, Dwayne, I, I, I made this commitment. I didn't know what... Have you heard these words before? I didn't sign up for that. Ever heard that before? I didn't sign... I heard church. When, when you agreed to teach the five-year-olds, I didn't sign up for this. That's okay. Because sometimes we haven't learned. Then once we learn, God expects us to do it. So over the whole summer, we're going to talk about... We're going to build it on the armor of God... But I'm going to do my best not to just teach the armor of God. I want each week to be fresh and new concerning our mindset, our biblical mindset uh, with culture. That's what my goal is. So let's pray together. And my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. If you're ready to trust Jesus, if you're ready, the recruiter has spoken to you today. And even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, even though it scares you, you know this is something you want for your life, to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You come down and tell Brent. And Brent today will lead you and show you and answer questions about how you can make that commitment to Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're here today and you raised your hand a long time ago and made that oath, but you realize that you're falling far short of that. That's okay. Tell God. 
Say, God, I'm sorry. I know I haven't been living up to this. Help me today to live up to this. You know, for me, it was a long time ago, and I'm learning each day new things about Jesus and following him. It's called sanctification. It's called, you know, learning to be more like Jesus. Learning to be more like Jesus. So this is our time of decision. And ask God what he would have you do today. Father, I thank you for the privilege of sharing this. You know what, God? Jesus specifically. Jesus, thank you for being honest. Thank you in your word. You lay it out. You didn't, you didn't, you weren't deceitful. You didn't hide it. You laid it out there. And I'm grateful you did. And we know that your love and your peace and your forgiveness makes it all worthwhile. And we're thankful for that too. So you speak to Holy Spirit, would you speak to hearts today, whether it be for a fresh commitment or a time of renewal, have your way in the hearts of people. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen.